Have you ever thought, I'd like to write a book someday? Then immediately shoved it aside as a dream with no chance of becoming. This show is about how regular folks went from being dreamers to doers, from letting their life experiences and faith remain their own to sharing it with their fellow travelers. So if you've ever wondered how the spark of an idea could turn into a brilliant book, these author interviews show you how by telling their inspiring and true backstories. I'm Roxanne Thane, one of the co-founders of Rooftop Publishing, and our team is delighted to introduce you to one of those legacy-leaving authors today. Welcome, all of you book lovers. This is Roxanne Thane, and I am so excited today to introduce you to one of the great mentors in my life. This is Harold Kersted, who is here from Virginia, and we have just finished working on his book together. It's called Praise God, Miracles Experienced by a Grateful Family. Welcome, Harold. I'm so happy to be here. I've been here for a week, and I've seen a lot of Utah, and I've, I've... seen a lot of you and Tim, and it's been very, very wonderful. And I've learned a lot about rooftop publishing and how good they are and how helpful they've been. I'm sure we'll say more about that as we get into it. Well, you're so kind. So Harold and I met about 25 years ago out at Virginia Tech when my husband was out there for his doctoral program. And he has been a mentor and a friend to Tim and me for years. And when we got to the point of um, when I started this publishing company with a couple of other women, uh, you had been sending me stories for years. And so I want to start with that. How did you start this book writing journey and how long did it take for you to work on the book? Well, that's very hard to answer because it's been in the making probably for 25 years without my knowing it. Probably the first thing that I can document, if you will, is I gave my testimony in church in in Northern Virginia uh, several times, and of course I wrote it down. And I looked up the one from October 17, 1999, and it became primarily chapter 13 and partially chapter 11. So in a way, that was the way it started. But then in December of 2010, I had open heart surgery, and it was a miraculous recovery, and it wasn't the surgery, it was the side effects. And uh, my daughter, when they were saying last rites over me, uh, actually saw an angel put her wings around me. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I the miracle happened and I came home, I wrote it down. But I didn't see it as a miracle. I would have called it a gift from God. Mm-hmm. So at that time, it was a gift from God. And probably the first indication of actually publishing something happened when I was sharing my stories with something called the Morningside Writers Group in Port St. Lucie, Florida. And when I read the story about my grandson, Chris, who was shot in the head in Afghanistan, and it became chapter two, uh, the angel in the Afghan battlefield, uh, they said, you have to publish this. You really need to publish this. And I didn't know what that meant. You know, could it be an article or, or what could it be? But again, I think the first indication from you probably was for the yearbook. I don't know what year it was, but 
I had another testimony, a different testimony from church that became a, a entry or whatever you call it in, in your yearbook. And that probably was the, and that's not in, the, in, the, in this book because it's in your yearbook. Yeah. So in any account, that's probably when uh, we, t- we contacted each other because we were in touch back and forth over the years that you suggested maybe we should publish the stories that I had. And at that time, I probably only had seven or eight, which grew to be 27 by the time we finished the book. <laughs> That's right. And when you, uh, you wrote this narrative, it was one of the most powerful narratives because it was called The Day I Forgave My Father. Probably. And that just rivets everybody's attention. And, you know, something else interesting about what you'd been doing, and I think this comes from your experience as a professor and having your work critiqued was not new to you, but you had been sending out these miracle stories to family and friends and acquaintances that you'd made at doctor's offices or whoever wanted to hear them by email. Yes. I probably started with my family and close friends, but over... I guess a couple of year period, it grew to be, I think, 140 different people. And I highly recommend it. Now, the issue with me is that the book is not a memoir. It's a series of stories. So it's very easy for me to send out this story or that story. But for example, I think it was yesterday, I was sending out to about the 10 people I'm doing now after all these years. And I I sent some out, say, chapter 17 and some 27 and so on. And the interesting thing is I would get feedback, and the feedback was was pretty strong. You know, this has encouraged my faith. Uh, I now realize that there are miracles in my life and and things like that. Yeah, I, I think that— that's something that's very difficult for some people to let others see their writing, but you weren't doing this to promote yourself in any way. I think no. that was the difference, is that whenever there was a critique, it, it didn't bother you because why? Because it was about God. Yeah. And I think, well, I truly believe that our Heavenly Father has been behind all of this. I mean, I've had nudges and I've had revelations one experience is that there are a lot, a lot of pictures uh, in this book. And I was writing about my experience in the Jordan River where I was baptized. My baptism was reaffirmed in, in the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. And we were moving things from Florida to Virginia. And so there were boxes and boxes and boxes. And I looked in one box, and there was an album, and I opened the album, and there were all the pictures from the Jordan River. And so I was able to get good quality copies of those pictures, which are now in in the book. And it is a beautiful book. Um, It's not only these narratives, but it's punctuated by pictures from your life, um, pictures that depict things that you didn't get pictures of, say, Baltimore on fire. Yes. We had to go searching for some of those pictures. But it really makes the book. I mean, that's what you've heard, right? Yes, and we had a, a flood in our kitchen. And, of course, when our kitchen was flooding and we were losing control and the water go- was going into the rest of the house, we didn't stop to take pictures. <laughs> but I was able to find a picture of a flood in the kitchen that occurred 
in the same way as my flood, which was under the refrigerator. Yeah. And so we were able to put that in, but you can't tell the difference between that picture and what really happened. No. And that's a miracle in itself. Yes. It's the miracle of publishing a book today. Well, I think that some of our readers who are toying with the idea of writing a book would kind of wonder what some of the obstacles were that you personally had to overcome um, in the idea of writing a book, maybe mentally or emotionally or spiritually, because there are always obstacles if you're doing something great. Yes. Well, probably the biggest uh, obstacle was protecting those whom I love from revealing something that might cause them hurt or to be offended or even left out Mm -hmm. from the stories. And the good news is it, it's not a, a, a memoir. It's, it's a group of 27 stories. And so I'm able to write the stories and protect, if you will, the family secrets. I'll call them secrets. They're, they're not secret, but members of my family would really be hurt if they saw them in print and certainly if they saw them in a published book. And so the great news is I was able to work with Rooftop Publishing and talk back and forth and talk through the difficulties, if you will, in my life and how to not to reveal the good things and even some of the bad things, but not the hurtful things. And we were able to work through that together, actually, day by day. Yeah, it was a very sensitive issue, but I think it's one that when people are writing history— because you are the one that experienced it, you are very sensitive to how others might have seen that. And so it was good to go through each one and consider everybody's feelings. And And I think that you did a good job. I don't think that anybody's come back angry. No, no, I, no I, th- nobody's upset. And everybody is is greatly encouraged. And, and they they really enjoy seeing themselves, if you will, in God's light. And uh, yeah. that's the important thing. And anyhow... Um, one of the miracles, actually, I guess, as we were writing the book, essentially together, I was writing it, but you were encouraging me, and we thought the book was finished, actually, and um, I had been writing along the side stories about my life that I did not consider miracles, and one of the big things in my life was called the Newport House, which was a country inn that my family and I, if you will, recovered an old farmhouse and we made it into a family, into a country inn, but we did it as a family. And uh, actually my son Andy said one time in responding to a story, he said, us guys would get underneath the house and dig the basement on our breaks from school, which is a true part of the story. But the story is about the Newport house. And, um, I said, this is so involved in my family, but I don't see any miracles, but I'm going to write it down anyhow. So I wrote it, and I've written a number of not-a-miracle stories. But as I wrote this one, I said, oh, my goodness, that's a true miracle. And, oh, there's another one. And when I finished just writing the story that wasn't about miracles, I looked through for the miracles, and, and in the story I identify 15 of them in one story. <laughs> And that's the story of the Newport House. So we were, if you will, finished with the book. But I talked to Roxanne. I said, actually, two more stories. We escaped a a volcano eruption in Ecuador, 
which I hadn't remembered to write about. And, and so I said, can I please put these stories in the book? But the book is finished. So Roxanne said, sure, we'll get those stories in. So they're not uh, number 26 and 27 because they're more arranged chronologically. But they're, they're toward the end of the book. And uh, we went through the whole editing and, and uh, design. Uh, design process for, for those stories. And there are a couple of the very best stories in the book. You know, I asked you after the book was complete, how do you feel? Are you, you know, whipping yourself because you forgot such and such? And you said, no, I got no. them all. Well, I mean, they're little puny ones. And you, the issue with miracles, and I, I talk about this in the prologue, is that, and, and it started this way, uh, I have a good friend who would give these workshops for executives in, in the Washington, D.C. area. And one of his exercises was to have the ex executives write that, make a joy list, list all the joys in their life. And then when they, he gave them time to do that, he asked them to read their joys. And the executives could only come up with three. Some of them couldn't come up with three. And I said, this is nuts. So I went home and I decided I was going to make a joy list. I came up with three. <laughs> I said, there's something wrong here. So I've determined to notice all the joys in my life. And I mean, the flowers and the, and the sunsets and the sunrises and the moon and, and all the babies everywhere doing what babies do, you know, and so today, if you said, Harold, make a joy list, I'd say, how many pages do you want? Well, the same thing is true with miracles. You, if, if I were to ask you to write down three amazing coincidences in your life, and by the way, coincidence is the way God remains anonymous. So when you write down those coincidences and you look a little deeper into it, you say, maybe that is miraculous. You can probably only write three. But if you look into it, you can end up saying, how many pages do you want? How many miracles do you want? Because I have miracles. I mean, truly, I, I will go through the day probably four or five times, and I'll say, that had to be God. <laughs> that had to be a miracle. Actually, one happened this morning, and 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 it was a big deal to me. But it, it's it's not for the book. It's, it's just one of God's many, many miracles every day. Perfect. Um, what was one of the happy surprises, Harold, in this publishing journey? I mean, there were some long days, but for you, work has never been hard. <laughs> That's been a joy to you. But what was one of the, the happy things that happened in this publishing journey? Probably the, the most surprising happy thing is that I was writing the story about the disappearing doctor, and it had to do with my daughter, Shelley. And she was on the verge, actually, of dying, and she needed a doctor. And the doctors we had been taking, to, taking her to said, we can't operate on her anymore because it will kill her. And we, we found this doctor in, in a Georgetown hospital, and he was very, very young. And so Shelley and I were putting together this story because he actually saved her life. This was way back, I'd say, 25 years ago. And she's doing fine today. But uh, so we put together the best story we could. As a side issue, my granddaughter wanted a, a copy of my late wife Pamela's signature, Pamela. 
But Pamela always either went by Pam or Gina. Uh, my granddaughter couldn't say nanny or grandma, so she came up with Gina. So she became known as Gina. So I had plenty of signatures of Gina and, and Pam, but none of Pamela. So I said, aha, I know where I can get it. I have all these mortgages and legal documents. And, of course, she signs her full name. So I have a drawer, a file drawer, of all the legal documents. So I'm going through these legal documents, and I open this folder, and it's not a legal document. It's a testimony that Pamela gave in church that talked all about the details of this doctor who ended up disappearing. So the bottom line was that there was a miracle inside of a miracle. There was a miracle as we were publishing the book. And, and her testimony makes the story because it's got all the proper details. And Shelley and I were writing it, whatever, 25 years later. Pam was writing it essentially as it was happening. True. So it was, it was the honest revelation. And, and the doctor came, saved Shelley, and truly disappeared. You never found him to thank Never him. found him. And we looked and looked. Couldn't find anything about him. The hospital had no records of this doctor. They wouldn't tell us if they had them, but no, we couldn't find anything. Amazing. And what a special thing to have Pamela's written word in this book that she was a part of nearly every chapter. And then you actually have her words now, her voice, actually, in a couple of chapters. Yes, yes. Actually, that testimony was about a number of things. But it was very clear about this disappearing doctor. Mm. And it was clear about another situation when she came to faith, actually, while taking care of her mother in, in our house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, I would love for you to share a principle or an idea from your book that will help the listeners know how they can get started in writing. And we were talking about this last night, and I think it was really encouraging that you can break it down so small. You've been a a professor your whole life, uh, your whole professional career, and you've been a consultant in management. And so I I think that you have a real way to talk to people and encourage them and help them feel like a big project is really just one small step to start. One thing at a time. One piece of advice, by training and and. As a professor, I spent most of my time as an engineer and teaching management. And it's all about writing reports. So I was—I had learned, because engineers are not into writing, but I, I learned that engineers spend half their time writing, so I may as well learn how to do it. <laughs> so I, I would write these reports, and, and these were good reports, but they were reports. And when I was working with my writer's group, they always said, Harold, that is a report. You need to make it a story. And so I said, how, how would I tell this story, which I've typically written as a report, to my grandchildren as, as they were going to bed at night? Because these are stories about their mother and their sister and their grandmother and so on. So I started writing like I was talking to my grandchildren. And... So the issue is, I would start out by writing a story, but then I would go back and I would say, what was going on at that time? What did people think? Where did that come from? How did they feel? And and I was able to come up with that. And so that's what makes the story sort of what you would call the, um, 
I don't know, the embellishment or the the, the picture, if you will, the the what was going on around it. It's not just this fact and then that fact. It's the relationships, it's the human feelings, the thoughts, the actions. And so, if, if you will, uh, people come to me and they say, oh, I love these miracles. I've, I've had this miracle in my life. And they tell me this miracle. And, and my miracles are dwarfed. I mean, their miracles <laughs> are unbelievable miracles. And I say, please, please, please write down what you just told me. Write down what you told me word for word. And then you have a first draft. And your family and your friends are going to treasure what you write. So write it down and then take your first draft. And, and as you read through it to yourself, you'll say, oh, there's more. And, and this happened. And I had that thought. And somebody said this. And, and you just add those things. And before long, you got six or seven pages. And, and now you have something that Rooftop Publishing, for example, can take and edit and, and develop the picture parts of it. You may have your own pictures. But even if you're talking about God speaking to you, there, there are pictures that can represent that. Mm-hmm. And, and those, they can come up with that. And so you end up with, with beautiful pictures around a story that your family and friends will treasure. And in my case... I have about 140 people who can't wait for the next story. <laughs> so, uh, and, and they give me wonderful feedback. I think I can tell you one story. Uh, we had some people in our house, and I'd never met the guy before. And, and uh, he saw a, a painting that I had. It's actually in, in the book in the Newport house. And um, he, he, he really loved it. It reminded him of, of where he grew up. We were in Florida, but it reminded him it was from Virginia, but it was reminded him of Pennsylvania. And he, he, he was captured by this picture. Well, I happened to have prints of that painting, so I gave him a print. We seemed so pleased with that. I said, let me give you something. And I gave him a copy of Praise God, and he took one look at it. He took it in his arms and drew it to his chest and started weeping. He said... I need this right now. This is something I really, really need. And so when you get that kind of reaction, it really encourages you to keep, keep documenting the wonderful, joyful things in your life. Harold, that, that story is such a visual for, for me, and I think that it would help anybody who is worried about, am I going to become a household name or in a New York Times bestseller with this book? To really put in perspective, what are you truly trying to do with your book? Are you trying to glorify yourself as this great author, or are you trying to build others' faith and minister to people through your stories? And you've had many people come back to you and say, I can see this helping in this situation or that. So can you tell us some of the places that you're seeing this book go that you really hadn't thought of before as people suggest this would be good for this situation or that? Well, there... (laughs) There are many examples. I think I can give you a couple. One, one person said, oh, I want to get some copies of this book, and I'm going to donate them to our church bookstore so that people can read the book and, and perhaps get books for other people. And, and 
That's one, and I forgot the other. What was the other one? Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, yes, Alcoholics Anonymous. There, there are a couple of people in my life, and you'll read this in, in the book. My father was an alcoholic. He was a, a mean alcoholic, and alcoholism tends to come down transgenerational. Uh, thank God I'm not, never have been. And, uh, I mean, I can take communion in church, and that sort of thing. But I, I stay away from alcohol because I don't have a good fun. I don't like it. But anyhow, a, a number of my family members belong to Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, they have libraries. And so I gave one to a couple of people to put in their library. And one person said, you know, it never made it to the library. It, it, they, they took it to read it. They'll bring it back to the library, but they took it to read it before I could ever get it in the library. So I think this book can be helpful, and I think it's mostly the story of forgiving my father because they see themselves in my father and what he did and the fact that, you know, alcoholics, even though they're recovering alcoholics and, and Alcoholics Anonymous for 35 years— they know that their family still watch them with a watchful eye, and it really causes them heartache mm. because they don't want to be watched with a heart watchful eye. But to read about the, the fact that, that their children or their grandchildren or their brothers and sisters can, can forgive and what forgiveness means, I think it's, it's very important for them. It's powerful. It's it's one of those stories that you said they're true and they're not all the happy stories. Some of yes. them are the hard stories that become happy. And I think that that's a real concern for people to make sure that their book is authentic and it's it's real. It's not just all the shiny, happy parts. And, and I think you've done a very good job of doing that. Uh, one thing that has comforted me, supported me throughout this book is I have a prayer that I pray every day. And it begins with, praise Almighty God, we praise you, we praise your holy name. And I'm sure that's where the title Praise God came from. But in the very, very end, we I say, thank you for this beautiful earth and our many, many blessings. Help us to use those blessings to your glory. So the, the point there, of course, is that God blesses us every day with miracles big and small, all kinds of things. And these are true blessings. But our purpose, what we need to do, is to use those blessings to bring God the glory. I agree. And I'd say, Harold, that your uh, example has been great, not only to me and my family over these many years, but now to these 150 plus your family and so on. If there was any kind of a legacy you could leave, I don't, I cannot think of a better one. Anything financial or no. property, it pales in comparison to your testimony. Yes, yes. I mean, when you get to be 83, money is not important. And we can cut this out, but I'm going to tell a this. story. I want this. No, please. So I tell people this story. This rich guy was, it was in an automobile accident. And he was killed. And he goes up to the pearly gates and he meets St. Peter. And he says, St. Peter, this happened so quickly. Uh, uh, please let me go back to earth because I have something I really want to bring with me as I leave this earth. And St. Peter said, what in the world 
Why would you want to do that? He says, I'm desperate, St. Peter. Please let me go back. So St. Peter said, all right, you go back. After a little while, here comes the rich man. He's bringing this, this suitcase. He's lugging the suitcase. And St. Peter said, let me see what's in the suitcase. So I opened the suitcase, and it was full of gold bars. And St. Peter said, you did all of that for pavement? <laughs> and thus we see whatever we have that we think is worthwhile here will not no, matter in the end. It's all about memories. One piece of advice from an 83-year-old, make an effort to make memories with your family. Go out of your way to go places, do things that will be memorable. Because when, when you die, when I die, all I'll have and what my children will have and my grandchildren will have and my seven great-grandchildren will have is memories. And this book will actually remind them a lot of the memories. But it's, it's about memories. You, you can't take gold with you, but you can leave with memories and you can leave memories behind. I think that's the perfect place to end. Thank you so much. Yes. Though we've come to the end of this chapter in our author's story and the end of the show, we feel motivated by the legacy created when they took the leap of faith to write and publish their book. We hope this backstory has inspired you to pen the book that's in your heart. After all, your unique and faith-promoting message needs to be shouted from the rooftops.